Stories within stories. Meanings that point upwards. The cross behind the camera. We're Josh and Brandon, and this is Crossover Collab, Director's Cut. to talk about spider-man 2 if you want <laughs> spider-man go on what, what 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 have you taken from it so far i just i i actually didn't watch the first one i haven't watched that in a lot of years a lot of years still yeah but i watched the second and third one recently and nice they're they're still good films oh yeah definitely they've um they've held up that's that's the really weird thing like right i, th- I think like some of the editing is uh, is very bold. Uh, like the the first one, it's a bit like it's a bit jarring how it's edited, uh, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't have it any other way. And you can see how over the course of the trilogy that style gets refined. And so some of those, like <laughs> where you're just cutting from a normal random everyday scene to like Peter having a nightmare about the Green Goblin. And then, then just smash cutting to like him at school or whatever it was. It was just, it's just so crazy. But then by the time you get to like the second film, that kind of style is, is really, you know, refined. And so from like a cinematography level, the music is great. The characters are well written, obviously based on amazing concepts from Stanley, but, um, developed in, in such a good way and um i think the second one's actually a really good one to focus on uh, in agree. particular um just because yeah like i know i've been having a lot of conversations with my flatmates about it as well um just that idea of um really struck me the the idea of like this hero that assumes that because they're a hero they have to save everyone else without looking after their own personal health and then he realizes by the end of the film that actually just because he has the ability to save everyone doesn't mean that no one is able to save him. And that actually Spider-Man needs people as much as people need Spider-Man. Um, yeah. Which was a, it was a brilliant thing to see. Like the, um, the, the tram scene, uh, the, well, the runaway train, mm-hmm. really brilliant example of that oh. where literally like, they unmask him and they're like, don't worry, we're not going to tell anyone who you are. Uh, it's, it's secret. It gives me chills. And how they like pass him along the line to safety. And it really, like, it's such a, such a really visual way of demonstrating literally the people are holding up Spider-Man um, exactly. in order to keep him safe. It's like, yeah. And all of that, all of that happens without a single person turning to face the camera and going, you know what? Superheroes need a support group around them also. Yeah, right. And this is the thing. The Amazing Spider-Man films, I actually haven't watched the second one, but I have seen a clip from it and they just don't do a great job of it. I think it was, it's a very last scene 
and I think he's going against like the Rhino or something like that. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And they kind of put that message over again, um, but in a really crappy version. It's, yeah, with the kid who like runs yeah, under the. Yeah, exactly. It's just like it's not the same thing, you know. Because at the end, I think the beautiful thing about that scene in Spider-Man Two um, is he's very vulnerable. And it's nice to see that. And I think the film just really demonstrates his humanity. Oh, like, absolutely. That's the best bit about it. And it's like, I think it's the reason why we love Batman so much. And it really brings that element into Spider-Man. Like, yeah, yeah Batman doesn't actually have any superpowers. But the reason why we love him so much is because he's so damn relatable. He is human. And his superpower is essentially the persistence and his, yeah. like, eternal and technically external strength that makes him so wonderfully engaging and why we still see countless adaptations of it. Just too Definitely. many. Although I'm still excited to see the new Batman. It looks awesome. It looks so oh, good. I haven't, haven't seen the trailer yet for it, actually. Oh, mate. I, Go I was kind of, is it still um, Ben Affleck? No, it's Robert Pattinson. Oh, yeah. I heard about that, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I need to watch the trailer for that now. Because he's Before, proven himself as an actor these past couple of oh, years. Hasn't he? I haven't actually watched um, any of his recent films. I know The Lighthouse is supposed to be a phenomenal film with him. Him and William Defoe, actually, from... Yeah. Uh, I've heard that's supposed to be incredible. But, um, yeah, I think he's do, he's going to do a great job. The Dark Knight, you thought that was dark. The Batman <laughs> looks way much more darker. But wow. It, it looks like it really... I watched a video essay and it looks very much like um, the movie Seven. Um, oh yeah, um, and it's it's got that almost horror. Let me try that again. Almost that horror like kind of theme, and it you can tell that what they're aiming for just from the trailer is you can see that they're really trying to show the brokenness of Batman as well. Like he's not just some glorified vigilante. And I think as Robert Patterson put it, I believe in a tweet, he was like, Batman's not really a good guy. He's just a kind of, he's kind of broken inside. I mean, think about it. Mm. Who in the right mind puts on a costume and is a vigilante at night and is, you know, there's yeah. got to be something not quite right there when you look at it from an objective point of view. Um, yeah, like the whole reason that he becomes a vigilante is because of the pain of him not being strong enough to save his parents from dying. And mm -hmm. that he then basically, it's, it's almost like an act of self-flagellation over the course of his whole life that he like beats himself up and throws himself at all these villains and goes through all this physical suffering because he feels like it's that he he owes the city like he he yeah. has to save them and time and again he's he's confronted with how imperfect the city is and well just <laughs> how terrible it is to be fair like you know just how horrible the people are that he has to save every day that he's putting his back out for and yet he still does it and i think a lot of it comes down to that yeah that kind of broken perspective it's still noble of course that he uh, is a, a hero and that he does everything he can to save people 
And I think it is really optimistic that like we can see people like that who have been through so much hurt and torment and they channel that to then stop other people from experiencing the same kind of pain. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It it really is. It's it's that thing, isn't it, in the dark night where they say the the hero that Gotham needs Not really the is. Yeah, oh completely. Do you know I just had an absolute light bulb moment there. And I think this is why pretty much every superhero has to have some sort of family death. And it's just it's just really clicked with me that the great sense of justice that the hero has just comes from the pain that was um emerged from injustice. And yeah, I mean, yeah. it seems like quite a dirt moment, obviously, but I think it's just that's just really clicked with me that because there is a running joke that pretty much every superhero, you know, the parents died or a close family member has died, and it's like mm. actually it makes perfect sense to have that as as the kind of root behind it because where else is that great sense of creating justice going to come from? You know, like they see the pain firsthand they feel what it causes and they've basically made a statement to be like you know what that will never happen again this injustice needs to be dealt with and you know they they commit themselves to doing that and i think like i said the the new batman film looks like a really really targets that element of he wants to create justice but it's coming from a very broken place and applying that to spider-man I think that's a really lovely element as well. You know, seeing the brokenness of um, Peter losing Uncle Ben and mm. him wanting to change that. And of course, the wonderful line, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Like, that's just a beautiful um, addition to be like, okay, not only have you got this power, but you are going to create this justice with it. And Oh man, just the humanity in it is just absolutely beautiful. And it's just, oh, that just brings up that scene as well where they're in the car. Um, It's Mm. like, it's almost like a memory slash kind of imaginative dream state where they're in the car and it's just white light outside. And, you know, his Uncle Ben says, take my hand. And Peter actually says, I don't want to be Spider-Man anymore. And it's just like this heart-wrenching but it makes sense it's like again it's you see this broken character that is you know he's lost his uncle ben with this power comes great responsibility and he wants to create this justice but we've got to remember at the end of the day he grew up a human being he still is human you Mm. know there's man in spider-man there's still that humanity in there and so part of him he does just want to be human as well there's this wonderful conflict and i think that's why i personally really enjoy the sam rainy films a lot more and yeah they may yeah. be a bit cheesy sure and yeah Tobey Maguire, he may not be the best spider-man i think he's pretty much the best peter parker oh but hands down like yeah. i i love no wrong i love tom holland i think he has beautiful balance between peter parker and spider-man and i prefer his spider-man but I think I just prefer Tobey Maguire's like Peter Parker just because it's just you just see the humanity really um it's very visual throughout particularly the second Spider-Man yeah. and um oh man it's cool. And actually like for for most of that trilogy, he doesn't even wear the suit. The it's, mm. 
like that was the thing I, I really actually I noticed it in particular in the Doc Ock fight. I mm. I distinctly remember thinking to myself, I'm I'm more looking forward to what Peter Parker's gonna say to MJ after all of this is over than right? Spider Man fighting Doc Ock. And it really clicked that actually, yeah, that that humanity is there. Like for a lot of action sequences in movies, I think it's very easy to just kind of filter them out and not really pay attention to what's going on. And don't get me wrong, there are tons of action sequences where the choreography is just enchanting and like entrancing. Oh, yeah. You just can't take your eyes off it and it's so well put together. And there are also like action sequences, uh, like take the first Pirates of the Caribbean, where uh, oh, they right, use yeah. action as a way of telling you about the characters. Yeah. Um, there's a video essay on it, so I won't steal its thunder, but it boils down to when Will Turner fights, he fights straight because he's um, a man yes. of honour and he was taught how to use the sword properly, whereas Jack Sparrow is a swashbuckler and he plays by his own rules and he always looks for a way to effectively put things into his favour. So when he knows he's against an opponent he can't beat, he uses the environment to his advantage. And those things tell you a lot about characters. So, uh, yeah, not to completely, uh, you know, um, understate the importance of action. But as I say in those movies, the action was not the thing that I was looking forward to. The thing I was looking forward to was seeing, actually, how does a superhero go back to his normal life and how does he balance that? And as a character, is, is very, like, very unique in that sense. I know you've touched on Batman being quite similar in that sort of relatability but um i'd i'd argue that peter parker is even more so ah yeah well it's it's funny that you say all that because as a kid i just remember doc ock pretty much and i remember how cool it was and i'm pretty sure i had some sort of toy and i haven't watched it since i was a kid so when i did actually watch it again i just realized that i probably would have preferred to watch the film even without him in it. I actually don't think they needed him, which sounds weird because you think, oh, he's the main antagonist. I'm like, no, I think it's a strong enough film by itself just showing the internal conflict. of That is true. Yeah. I think that's what I love about it. And obviously if you're creating, you know, a big budget film and you're creating a straightforward narrative, sure, you probably do need an antagonist, particularly for a superhero film. But I don't know. There's it was towards the end of the end of the film that I was just like, Doc Ock really doesn't serve that much. It I'm pretty sure the it's okay, experiment goes wrong. He's gonna rebuild it, he steals some money, has a little fight with Peter, then he gets what is it? Is it Trinium, I think it's called? Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He gets Trinium from Harry. Tries to right. He tries to kill Peter Parker. Why he needs Peter Parker alive? Yet he throws a car at him. I do not understand that scene. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what? It, it's oh, mental. Yeah. Um, though I, I would argue that um, he does have a huge symbolic importance in the film. Um, yeah. Okay. I think the the main the main function. Um, if you're going to look at him purely as a function of the story, is mm-hmm. that Peter Parker has reached this point where he's like he's overdue on his rent. 
he can't like he can't get the love of his life to like understand why he's acting the way that he's acting um you know he can't balance his studies he can't keep a job all of that like all these struggles and then he just decides you know what life is actually better if i don't act in this altruistic way and save people's lives he realizes that actually even though uncle ben has told him that he has this power so he has to be responsible with it for for that whole time where he's not spider-man he's like actually i don't need to be responsible and in fact my life would be a lot better if i only focused on me um which is something very human and very natural. And I don't think any single person can point the finger at him and say that he made the wrong choice because it's a choice that a lot of people do make. Um, so Doc Ock is kind of that reminder that as long as he, as long as he chooses, uh, as, Peter, as long as Peter Parker chooses to put himself above others, people are going to get hurt by the forces of evil in the world and he has the ability to save them. And it might come at a great cost to himself, but he realizes in the film that actually it's more important for him to suffer doing the right thing than for him to be well off and not to do the right thing. So not having Doc Ock in for that one reason alone um, would, would make that story arc a lot harder to do. I, I don't think there is any other way for Peter Parker to have come to that realization very, very yeah, without enough. a very very tangible threat but then that also the um and the, the second big thing about doc ock that i really loved is um the arms uh, and the the influence on him and the idea of um the arms are kind of like this i guess representation obviously at the time of fear of ai of like oh well what happens if the computer takes control of us that kind of thing very common thing in sci-fi um, but I think it also borderlines on this idea of like being so consumed by loss and this kind of broken dream that mm. he will he will pursue it no matter what the cost. Like he starts off as a very moral, a very good man. We were on his side at the start. We want his experiment to succeed. We think he's a good person. We see his relationship with his wife. He's really kind to Peter, all of that. And it's ruined by that singular moment where his dream falls apart, his life falls apart, and he's so desperate to get that back that he'll do anything. So that's why he robs the bank. That's why he hurts all those people. That's why he threatens Spider-Man. All of that, everything that happens in that film, that every villainous act that he performs is that direct result of him holding on desperately to that broken dream. Um, and it's again like th those arms, kind of that representation of when you're so blinded by something that you don't realize who you've become, what you're turning into, what you're letting yourself do in order to achieve something that you've convinced yourself you need. Yeah. Um, so, and and that moment where he realizes and he has that clarity and he's himself again and he's able to redeem himself. That's a huge thing as well. You don't you don't you don't get that a lot in fiction where the villain I was going is to say redeemed that, yeah. in a good way. Completely. So, and I think that's yeah. the wonderful thing about that film in particular. Bear in mind, superhero films weren't really a thing. This I, oh, I yeah, believe yeah. 
like Sam Raimi trilogy was pretty much one of the first like superhero, well, particularly trilogies to come out and mm. you know an, an adaptation from um, comics. So I think, like I think nowadays, you know, twenty twenty, looking at great villains, we look at Thanos, you know, in the Marvel universe, and we can understand him to a degree. But I think people thought it took a long time to get to this point where we find um, the antagonist somewhat relatable. I obviously beg to differ with that because obviously you have Darth Vader who's redeemed and we've talked about that before. That obviously, no, we we do find uh, sympathy and we do find understanding even in the most horrific um, antagonists. But I think... Spider-Man 2 is beautiful because not only do we see the humanity in the protagonist, but I think we can see the, the conflict and the humanity in the antagonist as well. And yeah. um, as we've kind of talked about um, when we've talked about anti-heroes before, how there are certain times where it's essentially just humans in life. And I think sometimes it needs to not be so much of a focus on protagonist and antagonist, but it's up taking an objective view to see that person and yeah. i think it's again that's another thing that pops up in judges in um in the old testament where obviously the the characters are just like essentially awful people but they've there's kind of reasoning behind what they do why they do what they do you know yeah they serve god's kingdom and sure they they get israel out of oppression but the people that run it you can't tell mm. if they're a protagonist or antagonist. They literally hold both attributes. They're yeah. violent and terrible people, but they do something good. And I think you know that kind of uh, element is really portrayed in, obviously, in Spider-Man Two, particularly. And I think it's wonderful to see that. And I think it's it's great that you've um, brought all of that up about Doc Ock because. Seeing that now, clearly, um, it's lovely to see that balance of how involved Doc Ock is then, because I didn't think that he was involved that much compared to the story. And knowing that that his role is necessary, I am actually so thankful that he wasn't put in there too much then. I think it mm. was a wonderful balance of, yep, he's still doing his thing. He's He is going to destroy the sea, and this is how he's going to do it. But at the same time, like we're still going to focus on Peter and his humanity and his conflict. And man, I think it's a really wonderful element of storytelling. And I think it is highly underrated, particularly looking yeah. back. Yeah. That, I, well, I was going to kind of take the conversation in a different direction, just um, by mentioning as well the um, relationship between Peter and Doc Ock is like, the the Christian and the sinner kind of thing. Oh, okay. Um, so if we look first at um, Spider-Man, this idea of, you know, he's he's got all this power and all this responsibility. We believe as Christians that, you know, we because of the power of the blood of Jesus, we've been saved from our mistakes and that we now have the responsibility to make sure that, those we care about, even those we don't care about, are able to at least know that that is available to them. So in a sense, we do have that same kind of responsibility and role as a superhero. Mm -hmm. 
obviously yeah. without the fancy powers. Uh, wish that we did. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> I just had an image of like someone like swinging from webs, just handing out Bibles, like <laughs> just oh, like. Imagine, imagine. That would be brilliant. Hey, that would be efficient, man. Oh, be... I don't know if you've heard of Bible Man. But, uh, but no, yeah, no. Christian superheroes <laughs> have been tried before, and they are not good. <laughs> unless, man. of course, oh it's unless of course it's made by an actual comic book character designer. In which case, you know, Nightcrawler, he's uh, he's Christian. Um, Is he actually? Yeah, I think he's. Um, he might be like Orthodox or something because of the part of the world he comes from. But um, oh, he. Wow. In X2, there's a scene where he's alone in a church and uh, because of the way he looks, he feels like he's a devil. And so he, he like, again, kind of like Batman, he has that very, like, self-inflicted torture kind of mentality oh. where he he's very much into the whole kind of absolution thing. Um, that and makes he feels sense. Like he's gotta be yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there are good Christian superheroes. They're just not the ones that are designed by Christians, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm kind of <laughs> glad because I can just I can see someone like being dressed in like a hoodie and jeans, and I, oh no, I have to save the day, and then like they end up revealing like a Mormon suit underneath. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No <laughs> event, but yeah, um, odd tangent. Anyway, continue. <laughs> yeah, so if if we look at uh, Peter Parker as being that kind of Christian uh, over the course of the three movies, in the in Spider Man Two, when he actually gives gives that up, it's the idea of I suppose the persecuted believer who is doing all of this good. And they know that what they're doing is good and that it's helpful for people, but mm-hmm. that actually it is such a huge commitment that it can actually, you know, have an effect on our entire lives and it, it should have an mm-hmm. effect on our entire lives, that relationship with God. But that actually you can think of it as like, well, um, I don't, don't need to go to church every Sunday. I don't need to have a life of devotion if I if I told fewer people about the gospel, I'd get in trouble less. You know, that kind of thing. Um, and actually, you can live a very happy life not oh, being yeah. a Christian. And exactly. that's, that's one of the things that um, I've heard it said before. I can't remember who it was. But talking about how actually these days, the devil finds it far easier to keep people in a place where they're happy and content because actually then there's no incentive for them to know God and to apologize for anything they've done or to repent of their sins. They don't, they don't need to because they've already got everything that they need. That they think so, they need, which is the interesting concept, isn't it? Yes, of course. You know, <laughs> I, like, yeah, exactly. And it's like Brave New World really demonstrates this theme where they're taking the happy pill, you know, and yeah. they, they feel they're in this happy world. And that's why it is one of the scariest utopias because, sorry, dystopias, but funny enough, it, it's almost conveyed as if it is a utopia. And yeah. that's yeah. what's terrifying about it. And it's so realistic today where it's like, if you're happy, then then that's all that matters. And it's like, yeah, but you're ignoring so much of it. And it really, I think this is 
the greatest thing that I love about these films is that simple message of great power comes great responsibility that for some reason no other future Spider-Man films can ever um, say in the exact same way. They always have to have their own way of saying it and it turns out being crap. But I think well, that's... Spider-Verse. <laughs> yeah, I've got actually, to stand up for that. that's true. I forgot about that. that yeah. See, that's almost... I don't know why I see that as an independent film of itself rather than... I think it's just because it's not a live-action adaptation. I yeah. But, yeah. I agree I'll with that. You. I'll forgive you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so, no, you're absolutely right there. Um, but I think, obviously, the, the best way that has ever been portrayed is is um, in the original Sam Raimi. With great power comes great responsibility. And I find myself quoting that quite often throughout my godly walk. And mm-hmm. it's so interesting to adapt a simple line from a superhero film to a genuine... Um, walk with God and to love people but we do have this responsibility I wouldn't even say just to get the message out but I think that message starts with love and I think it's loving people at first because I think too often mm-hmm. people it's it's a little like blackmail sometimes where people love people Oh yeah, in, yeah. in order to go okay now read the Bible okay now you just need to devote yourself to scripture yeah. and it's like no, Jesus didn't even do that. I think it's a bit of a different situation because, you know, you're in the presence of God. But I think it's the idea of I'm going to love you whether you commit to me or not. It's going to be, yeah, yeah it's going to be devastating exactly. because I love you and I want that love in return again, like marriage, as we've talked about in the past. But it's, and holding that intimacy. But I think, you know, there's that responsibility that we in the church need to love people and to show that love through action without the consequence of, okay, now you need to join my club. Like that's why it can be conveyed to people. And it's like, no, we are called to love you because you are my brother, my sister, you are a child of God. It doesn't matter what you've been through. You are redeemed. You've forgiven, you're loved. You know, no matter what you do, I love you. And it's trying to demonstrate that. And that's the responsibility that we have. And I think it's it's lovely that you've brought up this demonstration that, you know, yes, there's a superhero part of us. And there's quite often a lot of us in the church want to be Peter Parker. We want to just yeah. live our lives, be normal. Yeah, I mean, I could love people, but there doesn't seem to be a greater threat, you know. And it's much easier yeah. in Western culture because, you know, you know, with consumerism, there's just so much that we think that we have and possessions but happiness isn't just going to cut it you know there is greater threats out there that Mm. just because we don't see doesn't mean that they're not there and doesn't mean that we're not called to be responsible you know people talking about climate change and talking about a lot of the suffering in the world and like where's god and i'm like that's a big conversation but one of the main aspects of that is where are you that's one of the main things that we need to be asking there's so much we are handed immense responsibility you know even the apostles they have they've been offered a great responsibility when the, the church first set out to to spread itself out and it had to deal with a, a lot of conflict and they had to go out themselves and do things in Jesus name but they were the ones that were walking still they were the ones that were loving people Jesus clearly had his disciples around for three years to show them 
exactly how to do it. Not to just say, follow me, and then you go do you. It was quite literally a live and breathe and lesson to be like, I'm clearly demonstrating to you how you should be approaching people, how you should be loving people. I am quite literally, not just a template, someone that you need to be in love with, but I'm quite clearly a template for you to base yourself on. Now you have the responsibility to go out into the world and do what I have done. And we've completely lost that in this culture. And it's so, again, it's so difficult to do nowadays, but I think we've lost that sense of responsibility. And that it doesn't necessarily mean that we, you know, the cliche thing of, okay, we're going to go over to Africa and spend time with the kids there, even though that can be somewhat of a beautiful thing. But like, because you see quite a lot of people going on missionaries and handing out books there. And I'm like, you don't need to go into developing countries as such, even though, yes, that is definitely a good thing to do. I think my main trouble there is because my wife, Isabel, she went um, on a trip to essentially help with the school in Africa. It was a beautiful yeah. thing. But she found this internal conflict of uh, being like, while she did help teach at the school, the main problem about it is these African kids, they've seen enough strangers. You're coming into their lives for, say, a week or two. You're getting to know them, and you're getting to create a relationship, and then you go away. It's like... Yeah. And she even... Um, I hope she doesn't mind sharing this, but there was one kid that was, on the last day, asked, asked her where her present was. <laughs> they know how... And it's so sad because they know how to manipulate. And the reason is because the pe these people come into their lives and they create a relationship and then they leave. So this little girl has now figured out a way to get what she wants because she knows she's being used, essentially. She knows that she's... And again, that's not the intention of people that go over there. So there are other ways of helping. The simple thing is, you know, once we've started accumulating a bit more income, me and um, my wife wanted to be able to um, actually support a kid there where we pay for the books, you know, we pay for the education. And it's only yeah. a small stop. You know, something as simple as that is better than just going over there. And it's finding these these ways of actually helping people, um, like climate change as well. That's a big thing that we've contributed to. And we're saying, oh, the world's going to hell. And I'm like, yeah, who do you think is responsible for that? People, like... Mm. It, people's responsibility to keep it good and to keep God's good earth clean and green and sustainable, we need to make sure we're contributing towards that. And that's why there's been the big movement of sustainability, zero waste, veganism, you know, these all contribute towards a greater sense of having that responsibility to take care of the world that God has put us into and, and take an action towards something greater and yeah these may only be minimal things that we can do you would don't know we don't have to be a web swinger or anything like that you know we don't have to have great superpowers but it's taking the initiative to do these little things to do our research and to see on how we can actually change the world in a good way and a lot of people are just kind of assuming that the problem's bigger than us and i think that's mm the awful thing about it it's like well you know it's run by corporate companies or or you know like there's no way i can change all of that and it's like as an individual person in some aspects no no you can't you can't stop an ice age coming just by yourself no but it's creating a community and stuff like that of 
doing your part. You know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm doing a TED talk or something like that. <laughs> but like, <laughs> you know, it, it really is that that cliche but very important thing. If you know, do your part. As long as everyone's doing their part as part of a, a, a large community, a big wave of change can come. And it's it's when we accept that responsibility and don't get lazy and don't assume that it's just something bigger than, than us and we just ignore our sense of responsibility that you know we can actually do big things. We just need to realize how important that we are, you know? So Yeah. We are um, Spider-Man or woman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And um, I think as well, that's why I really like the last encounter Spider-Man has with Doc Ock. I think, because mm-hmm. again, if we look at Doc Ock's perspective of this kind of archetype of the sinner, of someone who is absorbed in their own life, who, you know, wants to do things that make them happy, who have has all the right intentions and then things go wrong and they just, you know, have that singular obsession on getting back something that's been lost and trying to get that happiness back, trying to get that material pleasure back and all of that. Um, and that idea that, you know, when, when he reaches that point where he's so completely broken that he's lost everything, it just snaps and starts doing really evil things and that's partly the influence of the arms it's partly the fact that he's literally at rock bottom but um then it takes someone like spider-man deciding that he is going to bother to be responsible to actually help that broken person to confront their own actions to be able to repent of it and to actually realize that actually the the solution is not to create more suffering the the solution is actually to say to to let go of those broken dreams of the past and try and help contribute to people today achieving their dreams so yeah it's it is a i think it's a it's an important lesson for christians mm-hmm. because too often we we end up either on the side of apathy where we think that it's not our problem to fix when the bible yeah. makes it very clear that it is our problem Exactly. Also, we can be on the other side where we're overly righteous and we're hypocritical and we go, oh, well, they're a super villain. You know, that person (laughs) is too far gone. No, when when Jesus died for everyone, he didn't die for them. But actually, we're meant to be somewhere right slap bang in the middle of those two extremes, which is that unconditional love of deciding that we're going to make the effort to be the best that we can be to try and, you know, uh, exemplify the character of Jesus to ask for God's help with it because we definitely need it. And then to meet people where they are, to, to not have to go to the other side of the world to help people out, especially these days where actually most of the people that we can help is going to be a number less than 10 and they're going to be within two meters of us. So that's a big thing. I, I've been thinking about a lot this year of like, well, you know, how are you meant to do mission when you can't go out to do mission? It's like, yeah. well, that's that's not what the mission is. The mission isn't go out and uh, to random people that you meet 
sometimes it is that is some that's people's it. gifting. Some people do have that calling to evangelize. And they have a, exactly, and, they have a good job with it, you know. But yeah, it's not it's not the call for every or most of um, believers or followers, you know. Exactly, and I think a lot of it is just looking at because I think it's very easy to, in the case of like mission work and stuff, which of course, as we've mentioned before, is very necessary and it's extremely helpful to the people that it helps. But um, when we look at missions work as being like a go-to thing, we kind of dismiss the problems that are literally on our doorstep and we go, oh no, the problem isn't here with me. The problem is over there. And I am the one who is equipped to fix that problem. But actually it's, it's God who's equipped to fix the problem and he's working through us. And usually the problem is something that we've either caused or something that we can, you know, are, are involved with in some way, something that we yeah, can actually yeah. put a stop to something we can change. Exactly. And it's not necessarily that we're called to fix the problem, but we can contribute towards fixing it. And I think yeah. a lot of people forget that as well. It's, I think that we usually are called to something greater than what we think we can handle. But at the same time, we're not called to be actual genuine superheroes where we can just save the day in, you know, a great fashion. It's like, no, there's, it's gradual. There's small steps and it only takes the simple things. And yeah, it can still be difficult and it can be hard, but there's a lot more to the equation than what we think. There, I mean, there is immensely much more that can go on. You know, Jesus, Jesus even talks about how um, one person that uh, sows a seed, uh, another person can harvest it. Sometimes, mm-hmm. in a very rare occasion, sometimes one person can um, plant a seed and harvest but usually when it comes to people, one person plants a seed, one person harvests. And you don't know who, you know, usually you won't know who did the planting and who did the harvesting. But yeah. that's where the importance of us as a body of Christ, we all play a part, you know, that your hand, the hand might be doing something. Let me try and get this right. So the right hand is doing its own function. The left hand's doing another. They're... Yes, they're somewhat disconnected, but they're connected with the body as well. It's like you don't understand the the bigger picture of what you may be contributing towards. And, yeah. And that, and that way, we're basically the Avengers. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so yeah, I mean, again, responsibility, but it's we're expected to do greater than what we can think, but also we need not be in this crazy pressure where we make i think we need to not have this pressure of like okay this is what i think i should be doing and then we kind of follow that pressure i think that's too much for us and i think this is where the trust and faith in god is so crucial to be like okay i'm called to something great i don't know what it is i know with your help you're just going to get me through the little things and to contribute in whatever way that i can and yeah it's scary faith is trusting someone that you know you don't know exactly what's lined up for you it's terrifying but Mm. whatever it is you know that is going to contribute towards something greater towards people that are around you or maybe even far away as long as we are invested in him and loving his people as much as we can we are on the right track so you know we we do what we can 